We're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And before we get started, if on your uh, handout, there's, I think I put on the very first thing, it says, name your biggest concern today. You see that? Can you take a second and just write down what it was that you came in worrying about? Or, you know, some of us are more spiritual. We don't worry. We just, we're concerned. Okay. Write the thing that's today. And it doesn't have to be something huge, but the thing that was the biggest concern that you brought in today. And hopefully we'll get, we'll bring that back around in a bit. So we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. This is Paul's letter to address the early isms, right? Gnosticism, legalism. There were even some folks that were worshiping angels. Well, last time, and we're going to do a bit of review here, we saw Paul's strategy to combat these things. And his strategy was Jesus, only Jesus. We talked about it a bit. He wanted them to use a bank teller's approach. That is, don't study all the counterfeits. Just get to know the real thing. Just focus on Jesus, only Jesus. So we saw last time that the gospel of Jesus, that is the good news about him, is enough to change who? Anyone. You can write that down on your notes if you want. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is enough to change anyone who hears it and believes. We saw that it it changed Saul to Paul, verse 1. That it changed the Colossians into those who love all the saints. All the saints, and that's quite a a feat. In verse 4, we see that. In verse 6, we see that the gospel of Jesus was enough to change the known world by the time Paul wrote this from from a Roman prison. So there's that one. We also saw last week that knowing Jesus, getting to know him, is enough to complete every believer. That you don't have to go to a lot of different areas to to live a full life to be complete. Verse 9 through 11, notice all of the words like filled and fruitful and all. Paul said to them, look, we're praying that you will be filled with knowledge and wisdom. Verse 9. Filled with fruitfulness, be pleasing to God, verse 10. That you'll be filled with power to stand up under any weight of adversity, in verse 11. And then he says in verse 12 that through Jesus, only Jesus, the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, the authority of darkness, and conveyed us. That's translated as he took us from one kingdom and put us into another kingdom, the kingdom of the son of his love. In verse 14, in whom, that is, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, only Jesus, could make our sins disappear. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, only Jesus. Today we continue that theme and the title of the message today is peace with God, question mark, Jesus, only Jesus. Today's message is all about reconciliation, 
verses 19 and 20 make that really clear. You'll see the word reconcile appears twice. And the phrase made peace, that appears once, just in those three verses, in those two verses. Reconciliation. You guys know what it means, right? Somebody shout it out, or, or Craig can make, put a mic in somebody's face. What, is reconcili- what does it mean to reconcile with someone? To be, to be brought back to, to, like when, I know this never happens, but when a husband and a wife get in a fight, when you make up, that's to be reconciled, right? It means to, to make things right between two parties. Now, would you agree that reconciliation is something that the world desperately needs? How many of you know what this picture is all about? Raise your hand. Okay, you guys are the ones who have been on the interwebs. Here's the story in brief. A little boy falls into a gorilla enclosure at the Cincinnati Zoo. He was essentially unharmed, but he was drug around in the water for about 10 minutes by a gorilla called Harambe. The video footage was super dramatic. The gorilla drags a little boy around. The mom's freaking out. She's calling 911. If you really want to get a sense of the urgency of it, there's a, a, a copy of the 911 call that she made. The zoo decides after 10 minutes that they need to put the gorilla down. The zoo officials put him down to ensure the child's safety. Now, the Internet has been exploding all week with controversy. Blame, outrage, outrage at the death of the gorilla, outrage at the carelessness of the mother, outrage at the zoo, and outrage at those who are outraged by the death of the gorilla when a child's life is at stake. Would you agree that our world is in need of reconciliation? Would you agree that our world's in need of reconciliation with each other, with humanity? What about with God? Definitely. Would you agree that our our world is in need of reconciliation with the animal kingdom? You're like, well, maybe I never thought of that. This may sound weird, but follow me. Would you agree that the ultimate solution to the Harambe situation is Jesus? Only Jesus. Did you know that there was a day, and there's coming a day, both past and future, when a toddler can say to mama, Mama, I'm going out to play with the apes. Okay, dear, have fun. Mama, I'm going out again to to pet the cobras. All right, dear. Don't forget your coat. (laughs) It used to be that way back in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And the Bible says it will be that way again. Isaiah chapter 11. I forgot to tell you, but you can turn there or you can look on the screen. Isaiah chapter 11 says, The wolf also shall, this is in the future, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. 
They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Notice this. For the earth, the whole earth, all of creation, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, there's coming a time when all of creation will be reconciled. How will it happen? Jesus. Only Jesus. Today, I want to take a closer look at, let's call it heaven's peace plan. How God figured out a way to make all of this messed up world that we live in, where when a child falls into or or it falls near a, a gorilla, we rightly freak out. It didn't used to be that way. What's God's plan? How, did, how is he going to, um, and how, what has he already done to bring peace in the midst of all of this? Well, <clears throat> it starts, might seem weird, but I think it'll come together eventually. It starts with the preeminence of Jesus. Y'all know what the word preeminent means? Anybody? Before, it means greater than. Um, surpassing all others, very distinguished in some way to stand out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Synonyms are greatest, leading, foremost, best, finest, chief. This is my favorite probably, supreme. Most of you probably heard that Muhammad Ali passed away on Friday night. He used to say, I am the greatest. Now, giving him the benefit of the doubt, hopefully some of that was tongue-in-cheek, And maybe you've heard this story. It's not known whether it's legend or fact, but it's certainly plausible and it's worth sharing this morning. He's on an airplane, right? The flight attendant says, hey, it's time to buckle up. He says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She says, Superman don't need no airplane either. You better buckle up. Today's text begins with the truly preeminent one, the truly supreme one. Beginning in verse 15 now, I will read Paul's lofty words. It's just awesome, these words about Jesus' preeminence, the fact that he is so surpassing. And when I pause, I want you guys to read, okay? That'll give you a sense of where Paul's going here. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over All creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Pretty inclusive, right? He's covering it all. But Paul's not done yet. What's next? He says, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him. All things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things. Somebody had a different translation. Somebody said everything. All things he may have the preeminence. So finish this sentence for me. You guys are having fun out there. I'm not hearing it. Finish this sentence for me. Jesus is above all things or everything but I have two spaces on my on my worksheet so all things 
Jesus is above all things. Jesus is preeminent. He's surpassing all others. He is over all things. He is the preeminent one. Now let's circle back and we'll break it down a bit. Look at verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that he merely looks a lot like God or that he acts a lot like God. A.T. Robertson puts it this way. Jesus is the very stamp of God the Father. This is the way I think of it. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Check with me. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. John 14, 9, you know, when he said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Feeling like I should take a tiny side trip that's not on my, on my notes here. What's, what's at the heart of this whole Harambe thing? Which is worth more, a, an animal life or a human life? We know the answer, it's a human life. And why is that? Because we are made in the image of God. But that's nothing compared to the express image that Jesus is of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. He is, Jesus on earth was no less than God with skin on. He's the image of the invisible God, verse 15, the firstborn over all creation. Okay, we've got to stop there and explain. Because our Mormon friends and our Jehovah's Witnesses friends see this word, firstborn, and they say, see, Jesus is not God. He's a created being. He was born. Now, I can see why they would make that mistake, but it's wrong, just so you know, and I hope to clear this up for you. When we use the word firstborn, we actually think one who's born first, right? Right? In that sense, raise your hand if you are one who was born first in your family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quite a few of you. Okay, firstborns. Only you get to answer this. When mom and dad weren't looking and it was just you and your siblings, who ruled? <laughs> right? Lisa and her sister Michelle told their youngest sister Lori for years that she was adopted. I didn't say you were nice. I just said you ruled. <laughs> so if you're a firstborn, say, firstborns rule. Firstborn rule. Oh, you didn't say that like firstborn. Say it like you mean it. Okay. <laughs> okay. New question. If through some tragedy, a group of siblings lost both of their parents, on whom would the mantle of leadership naturally fall? There you go. Y'all, when, when you read verse 15 and it says firstborn over all creation, it doesn't mean born first over all creation. It means in authority over all creation. This is interesting because we, we actually have a, a, a great, I think, illustration here. If Lisa and I were to need to leave the house for a few minutes, because of this thing called autism, we probably wouldn't leave Noah in charge of calling 911, right? Noah was born first, but Isaac would function as the firstborn. 
Don't get any ideas. He's like, I rule. <laughs> As a matter of fact, God has a long history, right, of making those who were not born first into firstborn. There's Isaac over, he was going to say Noah, no, over, <laughs> over Ishmael. There's Jacob over Esau. There's Ephraim over Manasseh. And there's Jesus over Adam. Adam was the one who got us into this mess, and Jesus is the one who gets us out of the mess. In that sense, he is the firstborn over all creation. When you see the word firstborn in verse 15, don't think born first as though Jesus were created. No, think supreme over all creation. This is interesting. According to Lightfoot, the ancient rabbis called Yahweh himself, okay? Yahweh, the name that they wouldn't even say. They called him the firstborn of the world. Okay, so that gives you a real good sense that this is not saying that Jesus is a created being. No, he is supreme over all creation. The New Living uh, Translation puts it this way. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. The following context, actually, if you just keep reading, it makes it pretty clear. Verse 16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. The, um, I, I believe it's the Jehovah's Witness put, they add a word there, all other things, but it doesn't say that. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in, on earth. Just check there a little bit. Spend some time thinking about what what Paul just asserted. The clouds in the sky that you saw this morning, made by Jesus. The the beautiful lake that amazes me every Sunday morning that's just over here, that's completely still almost every single morning, just is like glass. Who made that? Jesus. Your heart, your lungs, your brain. Who made that? The hairs on your head. And if you're bald, the next phrase has you covered, visible and invisible. (laughs) Craig, you got the mic? Here's a quick interaction here. Um, What are some other invisible things that he's made besides the hair on Steve's head? Air Air that we breathe. Good. What else? Our soul. Our soul. Okay. Anything else? Angels. Lemonin. Lemonin. Yeah, DNA, subatomic particles that we're made of, right? What about the wind? Right? The, the wind that, that can power a city or tear down a building. It almost did, actually, last week. All, everything visible and invisible. I think I'm done for now. Everything visible and invisible was made by him. It says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So does that include governments? Yes. Kings? Presidents? Potential presidents? All made by him. Made by Jesus. Every person on the planet, living or dead, was created by him, and as we've been learning, is therefore accountable to him. In case you're still not getting it, Paul ends verse 16 and it says, all things were created through him. And look at this. 
and for him. That is for his good pleasure. You and I and this earth and everything you see and everything you don't see was created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus, for his good pleasure. Verse 17, and he is before how many things? All things. And in him, all things consist. We've, we've talked about this. Uh, we saw that awesome video. Consist means to stand together. According to Greek scholar Robertson, again, all things were created as the, has the idea that all things stand created or all things continue to remain created. All things hold together. He adds, the permanence of the universe rests then on Christ far more than on gravity. It is a Christ-centric universe, he says. The New Living Translation puts it this way. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So we saw it even in that video. This, this thing called laminin, the, the, the cellular rebar that holds all of ourselves together, literally has Jesus' stamp on it. Now let's review. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. He has supremacy, authority over all creation because he created it, all of it. Stuff you see, stuff you don't see in heaven, on earth, people, angels, kings, kingdom. He created it and as we speak, he's holding it all together. Add to that verse 18. And he is head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that word firstborn again. Jesus was not born first from the dead, right? Lazarus was, and, and many others actually were resurrected before him. No, Jesus is the one who was resurrected, and he's the firstborn among those who will never die. But I think the main context here is that Jesus is the one who rules over death. He says, I have the, the keys of death and Hades, right? I open and no man shuts. I sh shut and no man opens. Paul is, then sums up this soaring, awesome eloquence at the end of verse 18 this way. He says that in all things, he may have the preeminence. Y'all, Jesus is supreme. He's over all. No angel comes close. No human government or official is even on the same radar. No man's philosophy or strategy is even in the same league Nothing that you want compares to him. Nothing that you crave compares to him. Nothing that you fear can stand before him. Remember when I had you write down your biggest concern today? Whatever that was, whatever that is, Who's in charge of it? Jesus. He's greater than anything you face. He's greater than anything that, that has got you wrapped up inside yourself. He's preeminent. He's supreme over all things. He's above all over every political figure. He's above termites. He's greater than our enemy. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your sadness. 
He's greater than your sin. You say, okay, I, I get it, but what does this have, any of this have to do with reconciliation, with God's peace plan for the world? What does any of this have to do with that Harambe? What does this have any of it to do with the price of tea in China? Well, it has nothing to do with the price of tea in China, but it has everything to do with all the rest. Look at verse 19. Now, you've got to track with me. This might be a little difficult because my head was swimming in it. I'm not even sure if I've done a good job of, of internalizing it, let alone uh, sharing it, but, but I'm going to try. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, who's him? Jesus. All the fullness should dwell. In other words, all of that preeminence that Paul's just been talking about. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell and by him, with all that fullness, to reconcile all things to himself. All right, I'm going to try. Y'all, the peace plan goes this way. Everything was made by Jesus, for Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. Everything is held together by Jesus. So to reconcile this broken, jacked up world to himself and to itself, to make peace within all of creation and still be just, because remember, God can't just let punish, can't let sin go unpunished. He has to judge it. Listen, the Father gathered up all things in Jesus. This is the best way I can think of it to explain it. Like, like gathering up all of creation in a bag, right? Or we don't know how many termites we have in this building, right? But there's coming a day when all things will be gathered up under the tent. And justice will be meted out. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? It's, it's a gathering up and then punishing so that it can be, things can be reconciled. Husbands, you can't reconcile with your wife without saying, I'm sorry, I blew it. Right? There has to be some kind of reconciliation. And what's amazing to me is that God, the one who's right, does the Look, I'm going to gather all this up and I'm going, to, I'm going to make their reconciliation for you. Okay, this, this kind of was crazy and blew my mind a little bit. But it, it helped me to realize that maybe God really is speaking on this particular day about this particular thing. You know what I read this morning about the name Harambe? It's a... A different version of the, the Swahili word harambi. And you know what it means? To pull together. That's kind of freaky. Because God says there's going to be a time when a, a toddler can sit with a, a gorilla and we won't freak out. You know why? Because God has figured out a way to reconcile the whole world. Remember, God is just. He must punish sin. This verse tells us that it's like the Father gathered up all things, all of the stuff that Jesus is over, 
all of this stuff that he's preeminent over, all the stuff that he's holding together, and he meted out justice all at once by punishing his son, the preeminent one. It says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's Jesus' cross. It's his blood. It's his willingness to die, his death for us in our place that makes reconciliation possible. The Father has made all things right by punishing Jesus in our place. Here's your next slide. The preeminent one became our punishment by proxy. And because it's alliteration day here at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, I changed it to this. The preeminent perfect prince became our punishment by proxy. Do you guys see it? The reason there's coming a day when a toddler can be beside a gorilla and you won't freak out, the reason that one day we'll have peace within all creation, the reason that we can be reconciled with each other, even if someone has done something terribly wrong to you or a loved one, the reason that we can be reconciled to a holy God, Jesus, only Jesus. Quick note, this does not mean that all will be saved. It means all could be saved if they would respond. But it does not mean that all will be saved. I'm gonna, hopefully I'll show you that in a bit. Look at verse uh, 21. Finally now, we see the, the personal results, the personal benefit for us of the Father's peace plan. And that is that we, believers, those who respond are reconciled. We are brought together in a good relationship with the perfect, holy God. Verse 21, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. The word alienated there is literally you who were at one time transferred to another owner. Wow. That's specific. Though God created us, right? The human race, we chose to follow his enemy, Satan. And and truly, Satan owned us. We were born as enemies of God, right? Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Again, the word reconciled means to be made peace with, to get right with. How did God do this? How did the Father do this? Verse 22, in the body of Jesus' flesh through death. And here's why. Here was the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross. Not only to reconcile all of the the creation, all of the world, those without really souls. But look at this in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now here's the peace plan summarized. Jesus, the preeminent perfect prince, became our punished proxy. You know what proxy means, right? It means someone in substitute. He became the stunt double for us. He became our punished proxy. Here's why. So he could present you perfect. 
perfect before the perfect God whom, uh, in front of whom we will all stand. I, I don't know every story here. I don't know those of you that know Jesus and those of you that don't and those of you that are pretending like you know Jesus but you don't. But I want that last sentence to really sink in for you, anyone who has not yet surrendered to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've screwed it up until now, the Father's peace plan was to gather up all of your sins into his preeminent, perfect son and punish them thoroughly. And the son agreed to this ridiculous, radical plan so that he could present you perfect before his perfect father. The Bible says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I can make you white as snow. The father says, look, I've made my son the big tent over all of your nastiness. My son literally has you covered if you'll believe and surrender to him. Because you see there in verse 23, it says, if, it's a huge word in this context, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. Gospel, again, means good news. If you are not moved away from the good news which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Just quickly, I didn't put in my notes, but where it says preached to every creature under heaven, Paul's probably referring to the same kind of logic that he had in Romans chapter 10, uh, that refers back to Romans chapter 1, which says basically the gospel is preached. Sometimes it's with, with our lips, but it's always through creation, okay? But what about that word, if? This, this awesome plan that God has had to gather all of our sin into Jesus and punish it thoroughly, that can benefit you, but only if, it says. But I want you to notice, it does not say, if indeed you continue in, notice, keeping the rules. Does it say that? If indeed you continue in doing good works? No. Now hopefully you'll want to do good works. If, if you really know Jesus, there's going to be fruit and you're going to want to do good works. Does it say, if you continue in good behavior? No, what does it say? If indeed you continue in faith, in trusting Jesus, only Jesus. Again, not to, not to be a downer here, but not everyone is reconciled to God, even though God did all that he could to Pay, pay for that sin. He's done everything that he can possibly do to reconcile the whole world, all of creation. But only those who continue to believe, that is trust, in Jesus 
Only those who look to him and who surrender to him. As a matter of fact, if you reject Jesus, especially after hearing this today, if you consider what he's done for you, you are not, and you reject him still, you're not only not reconciled with God, the Bible says you are still in your own sin and you've added this charge to your rap sheet, ungrateful murderer of God. Because Jesus is the preeminent one, right? He is God. The invisible God made visible. I don't know if this makes sense, but consider what the Father and Son have agreed to, to save you. This, these, these were the things that started to hit me this week. And again, it would come in flashes and it wasn't constant. But there were times this week when I was just overwhelmed with a new sense of truly how God must love me. I pray that, that I'm able to express that in the next minute or two here. Think of this. If Jesus hold, is the one who holds all things together, right? Then he was holding together the molecules of the hands that plucked out his beard. He was holding together the, the spit that flew in his face. He was holding together the lash that tore into his back. This wasn't just mere passiveness. This was active holding together that which would punish him. He was holding together the spikes that were driven into his hands and his feet. Anyone who can understand that and shrug and not fall to their knees in repentance adds to their rap sheet, unrepentant murderer of the preeminent one or unrepentant murderer of God. I honestly don't think that we have any clue of how much God loves us. Before this week, I had I'd spent some time thinking about the preeminence of Jesus. I dare say I probably spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus' sacrifice. But before this week, I had never really thought about the two things together. I don't know if this makes sense, but do we, do we really understand the cost of our salvation? It wasn't just a good man who gave himself, who surrendered his life for you. It wasn't even a prime minister. You imagine what the news would have read if, if there was a visiting prime minister in the Cincinnati Zoo and he jumped down and got in the middle of that mess so that both the, the boy and the gorilla could be saved. 
Not only would we be like, wow, that was a good man. We'd be like, wait a second, that's the prime minister of a, of a country. It wasn't just a president who surrendered his life for you. It wasn't even an angel who surrendered his life for you. It was eternal God. The most preeminent one in the universe laid down all of it for you, for me. What kind of love is this? That God himself, who is so far above us, would stoop so low, humble himself to become a man and yet even further to die a gruesome death in our place, not only becoming one of us, but to suffer a cruel death at our hands while holding all things together so that he could present you perfect. I don't know if I've done it, but do you feel loved? You should feel loved. The most glorious, preeminent thing in all of the universe looked at you and went, I'm going to lay it down for that one. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to live for him. It makes me want to speak of him. It makes me want to declare his marvelous love. 